Well, the time has come once again. It's like it usually does. My man Tony Andraki's got his cat jumping in on the scene. It is the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Chicago Cubs. Checking, you can open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs. And for those of you listening, you didn't probably get to see Tony's feline jump in right there. But uh, for those of you watching on the Marquee Sports Network app, that's a good looking cat right there, Tony. Tony, what's the word, man? How are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Actually, just got back from the vet with the cat. He's uh, he's been having some gastrointestinal issues, oh. so uh, hopefully he's doing better now. He seems to be because he just jumped, you know, from the nice. floor onto my shoulder. So I think he's doing all right. all right. I got a I got a pair of cats myself. Took my cat to the the vet the other day in in Itasca, Itasca Medical Center. And uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, my cat's 15 years old, but they they got his blood work back, and they said all systems go. He has three year old blood. So they, they looked at his blood work and they said, it looks like, it looks like the blood work of a three-year-old cat. I don't know wow. why the Cubs weekly podcast has gotten started with, with cat talk, <laughs> but the, there you have it. Your, your cat has just spurred on that conversation. But you know what? Let's talk about second base because there's some cool cats right now there. Nico Horner, obviously, he came into camp looking a little, a little extra swole, had the hair flowing just a little bit. We've seen a whole lot of extra pop. And I, I don't know if that's just because of, of the, the physical makeover that he underwent during the offseason. I don't know if it's because guys like David Bodie and Eric Sogard, new acquisition to the team. They're going to be putting a little heat under a seat, Tone. Yeah, I, I think it's really all of that. I mean, Nico, for a kid from Southern or, or California, Southern California, who has, he spent the winter in Chicago. He chose to stay here and he worked out at Wrigley Field all year or all winter with, you know, adding muscle with Cubs strength coach Shane Wallen and then working with Cubs assistant, new assistant hitting coach Chris Faleka on his swing. There was always something that he wanted to do was generate more power and lift with his swing because he has such great bat to ball skills, such great contact. I, he actually led the Cubs in contact percentage last year, but he only had four extra base hits throughout the shortened season. So the Cubs want to see a little bit more power from him. And that was something that he knew really from the time that he got drafted in the summer of 2018, that he was going to have to add a little bit more power but they think it's in there they think you know the added muscle and stuff could help but yeah Cole you know I'm with you he hit two balls hard in, the, in the, his first spring training appearance and um the addition of Sogard assuming you know everything goes good with all with the physical and all that that obviously adds a little bit to it too because then you got Ildemaro Vargas who's the Cubs backup shortstop as well so there's a lot of names in the mix and you could make the case that Nico Horner should start the season in the minor leagues to get seasoning mm -hmm. And to get more the development to work on his swing and get everyday opportunities instead of playing maybe sporadically in the big leagues. But now we just found out this week that it looks like the AAA season's pushed back until May and there's an alternate site going on too. Yeah. So, you know, is it best if to have Nico go to the alternate site for a month rather than playing the big leagues? I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting and fascinating decision for the Cubs to make. Ultimately, if it was me, I think Nico's defense, base running, all these little things, his IQ, I think that puts him on the opening day roster. Okay, but, and if he is on the opening day roster, is he the starting second baseman for David Ross moving forward? Or like you said, do you think that maybe some extra reps would be beneficial for him down there at, at a different level? Because, you know, last year he had no minor league reps. He was on the big club, even though it was only a 60-game season. You know, he went from the year before, you know, going back and forth to being the, the guy, essentially. Yeah, right. Like he skipped AAA completely, which is 
it's not unheard of. Obviously, it happens. Cubs had it with Starlin Castro, you know, earlier this decade and stuff too. But it's pretty rare. And he's actually he's played sixty eight games in the big leagues, and I think it's eighty nine in the minor leagues. So he's already played almost has as much MLB experience as minor league experience in his career. So there's something to be said for that, sure. But given where he's at, he's twenty three. He's already he's really developed in terms of like I said, the baseball IQ and the instincts and. I mean, he was a gold glove finalist defensively. He's arguably the Cubs' fastest base runner and, and one of their best, I think, already. So he's already very athletic. He helps the team win and, and you know, and doing little things. So I think he's a guy that performs better when he is not like the star, not worrying about development, when he's worried about just helping the team win. And we saw that at the end of, of 2019. He exploded on the scene when the Cubs needed a shortstop when Javi Baez got hurt. And and really performed well. So I, I think if the Cubs do con- want to contend this year, which obviously they do, Nico's a guy that can help them. And so I think that's where they're going to look at it and start. They're going to try to pro- prioritize the right now over maybe the long-term future on it. But again, that could change. If he does start to struggle, if, if his swing isn't quite where he wants it to be as spring training moves along, then I think this is a different conversation. But right now, I, I think it's Nico Horner helps the Cubs win. And I think it's really as simple as that. Yeah, I feel like every time, though, I, I look at Nico Horner, not, not only do I look at a guy who, who's on his way towards a solid major league career, but I also look at the guy who reminds me of Seth Rogen's girlfriend's friend in the hallway in Pineapple Express. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but but either way, he's he's the guy who's going to make sure that Seth Rogen's girlfriend has a watchful eye over her in college. He was walking around the hallways with a sleeveless shirt. If you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. Now, if he looks like that cat. Uh, Eric Sogard looks like a guy who will definitely do your 1040 EZ. One of the newest additions on the squad between he, Alec Mills, and Kyle Hendricks. These guys are all covered during tax season. April 15th, there, there shouldn't be a, a hitch in that Cubs clubhouse. But when you look at what Sogard brings to the table, not only is it Sogard, it's Jake Marisnik and Cameron Mabin. He's back with the club. These are guys who just go out there, get it done. They just play station to station baseball. And hopefully they're going to be a big time help for David Ross in 2021, Tone. Yeah, I think that's the biggest indicator of how the Cubs feel about this season. You know, signing Jack Peterson was a, a huge boon to this lineup overall. And um, after a, an offseason where the Cubs weren't doing a ton, the Peterson news was obviously a welcome sight for, for Cubs fans. But I think it's the addition of all these veteran role players, as you mentioned, Cole, that mm-hmm. really shows that the Cubs feel that they have a roster. They just, they just want these finishing pieces. They want depth, knowing that coming off a 60-game season – yeah, there's all this talk about pitchers workload, but there's also some position player workload uh, concerns that they're going to need as well. And so adding a guy like Sogard who hits left-handed and had a really good season in 2019, uh, gets on base pretty well, can play pretty much all over the place. Cubs love Ildemaro Vargas, who they picked up off waivers in September last year. And yeah, you know, signing Marisnik, bringing back Cameron Mabin. Ross loves the fact that these guys know their role. They're veteran players. They're not going to be upset about playing, not playing every day. They're not going to need to play every day to stay sharp because they've been there, done that. Austin Romine, the backup catcher, is another perfect example of that. So, uh, you know, winning teams have a lot of this. They have a lot of veteran depth, guys that can impact the clubhouse, but also guys who can stay fresh. And if they only get one start a week, make the most of it. And I think that's what the Cubs have in all of these guys. Yeah, and Tony, you know, I've, I've seen all those doubters, all those naysayers out there that have said, well, you know, the Cubs this year, well, you know, the, the Central's down, so that's the only reason why they're going to be competitive. But if you take a look at it, if all these guys have their typical seasons, be, be, Jason Hayward, Wilson Contreras, 
Anthony Rizzo, who went yard, hit a, hit a, a big bomb yesterday. Or, you know, we're recording this, of course, that he won the day before. What, what day is it today even? Today's Thursday, right? Yeah, Thursday, yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, we're, yeah. Just, we're just getting ready to get, to get there to April 1st versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. But, you know, if Anthony Rizzo comes back and Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, like, that's a pretty solid lineup from top to bottom. And then you throw in Ian Happ and everything he was able to do last season. And I think he's just a compliment to this squad. So if all these guys have the seasons that they're capable of and they live up to their full potential, then the Cubs are going to be a dangerous squad this year, especially when you look at a guy like, like, like Jake Arrieta back in the mix on the staff. Yeah. I think really Arietta is kind of the focal point of, of your point there. Cause I expect all those other guys to, to perform well, to get back to their career norms and this offense to score a good amount of runs, maybe not, you know, they really, the key for the offense will be finding consistency, trying to score more runs on a consistent basis rather than having an explosion followed by, you know, a, a two hit one run game or something like that. So, but yeah, either way, when, when it's all said and done, I think these guys will have stats. The offense will score a lot of runs, but really it comes down to Arietta and pitching depth and, you know, adding guys like Cole Stewart, Trevor Williams, Zach Davies, how, how they fit in, uh, and really, if the Cubs have enough depth to get through this season with workload issues and everything that goes with it, I, they already ha have an injury with Rowan Wick. Uh, it's probably not going to be able to make the opening day roster. There's their eighth inning, their top setup guy. So I think that's going to be the, the biggest question mark about this season. And really, the biggest focus point is the Cubs will do well if their pitching holds up, if they have enough depth and if their pitching performs the way that they're capable of. And, you know, that that is too hard to predict right now, but I yeah. think the Cubs did a good job of, you know, they have the volume game. They have a lot of arms, a lot of guys who can compete for roles, whether in the rotation or the bullpen. So I, I think that can help. And, but that's going to be the question. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said Rowan Wick, you know, get well soon for him. You know, he's going to be that guy, you know, that, that David Ross trots out there during some, some of those questionable times with seventh inning, eighth inning, you know, you're going to need someone to come in there and lock things down and hopefully, get to Craig Kimbrell, which will be the Craig Kimbrell of old that we'll hopefully see again this season. But, you know, I, there's there's still a spot right there that, that stings a little bit because no Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, he was a lockdown guy last season. We saw him come in. He had eight saves. I think his war was just a little bit over 1.5. So for him to not be there, there's going to need to be a lot of other guys, especially some of those veterans in the bullpen that are need to step up this season, Tony. Yeah, there are. And, and that's where um, the Cubs, when, when they're finding out more information about Rowan Wick's timeline, they went and brought back Ryan Tapera, who had an amazing strikeout rate and, and really emerged alongside Wick as a top setup option last year, really kind of bridging the gap to Jeremy Jeffress as Craig Kimbrell, you know, got back to the Kimbrell of old in the middle of the season last year. So Tapera was an important guy for them last year, and he'll, he will be again this year. He was just signed and added to camp, you know, about two weeks into spring training here. So I, I don't know exactly where his runway is going to be, if he's going to be ready for opening day, but it's certainly possible. You know, he had about a month to prepare by the time they get to that point. So that's going to be an important addition. And then if a guy like Kyle Ryan too, he was on the COVID list, so he wasn't able to to get off a mound or do some of the things at the beginning of camp that some of the other relievers will. So there's a question marks. We already talked about Rowan Wick, but I think the Cubs have done a good job of, you know, bringing back Andrew Chafin. So they have a high leverage lefty signing Brandon Workman, bringing Pedro Strope on a minor mm -hmm. league deal with an invite to camp. That could be a, pay huge dividends as well. And then guys like Jason Adam, uh, he has great stuff and he really impressed on the stretch. So he can take that next step. And then we'll see too, you know, with Dan Winkler, 
kind of emerged late last year. If he can carry that over and then guys who are out of options, like Dylan Maples, he has amazing stuff. He obviously looks filthy. If he can control it, he, he makes that bullpen quite a bit different as well. So there's a lot of guys down there competing for the eight, nine, 10 spots, however many the Cubs roll with, but the veteran depth is really what the Cubs need. And they know that this year they might need more relievers than ever in franchise history. They might need 20, 30 guys. We don't know how it's going to play out. So having a lot of these guys, it, that's why, you know, that's the volume game. That's what we talked about. And, and the fact that so many of them are veterans having pitched in high leverage moments in, in crucial games, whether it's the AL East, a guy like Jonathan Holder is also another option in there too. So there, there are a lot of guys. I don't know exactly how it's all going to play out for opening day yet, but I think it's a really intriguing area to watch the bullpen. Okay. Now you make mention of Pedro Stropia. He's on that minor league deal with an invite to camp and hopefully he's, he's back a part of the team sooner rather than later. But if, I don't know how he's going to pitch so far this season, but if there's one thing that's for sure, the dude is in shape. He's in crazy shape and he looks like he's ready to roll. Tony, you were down there in Arizona. I mean, the, the, between he and Jake Arietta, they look like all workout team right now. Yeah, no, they do. I, and to think they're both 35 years old, like that's, it is impressive. And Strope actually, I thought he looked a little bigger. I hadn't really seen him in person since 2019. So I thought he even put on some muscle, but he yeah. said he dropped about 20 pounds and he was lifting less because he was trying, he's had some, some lower leg issues like hamstrings and, and hip issues over the last few years. So in an effort to take the stress off his lower half, he really has been stretching more and, and lifting a little bit less and dropped about 20 pounds. Just like, just like you and I, right, Tony, that's what we've done. We've yeah. Knocked off the lifting, just stretching a little bit more. Just exactly. and, and then we looks, yeah. we appear bigger, just like Pedro Strope, right? You know what? I would love there to be media rankings of coming into spring training, like instead of the players, but the media members, are we in the best shape of our lives? And for somebody to talk about that and care about that, I don't think anybody will ever, and that's fine, but that would be fun, you know, to see how media comes into spring training. Are they in the best shape of their lives? And and how does that work out? Like my, my hands and wrists are at their best shape to type than they've ever been in my career before. Like these are interesting storylines for me, but I don't think anybody else cares. Well, that's the problem. That's I, I, it's, it's so tough to stop eating like that. You know, say, okay, Dunkin' Donuts, sure, no problem. Like, I'll eat it earlier in the day and then work out like a maniac at night and then try to make sure and try to shake off all this fat. Not, not, not necessarily working because those pants, they're going to keep you honest. They're going to keep you real honest. You're going to, you know, if, if you're wearing the first time you get those European cut pants on, it, it, I guess it would feel like almost wearing a Speedo to a public pool. If they're not fitting right, you're going you're gonna to feel a little bit out of water right there. Well, and they say the camera adds 10 pounds too, right? So you got to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, you don't, you don't want any, you don't want to look like a can of busted biscuits. Uh, Tony, any, any other storylines that, that, that have jumped out to you? I know as you left Arizona, you're able to kind of put a bow on things, but is, is there anyone who you looked at when you were down there and said, hey, I, I don't know what everyone else is talking about because I think this guy is, is really poised for a big one. Yeah, I think it's Jack Peterson and, and people are talking about him, but yeah. just he, he hit the home run, um, yeah, the third spring training game at Sloan Park, which was a monster shot, but he also, he hit one in live VP. He looks really good in batting practice. And he said, this is the best he's ever felt this early in spring, the best he's felt with his swing and timing. And he has to carry it going. He feels like there's still a lot of work, but in talking to him and hearing from him, he's as motivated as pretty much, you know, any player out there, not to say that he's more motivated maybe than some, but like, I can't, I can't sit here and say like, this guy is more motivated than Jock Peterson, because whether it's, it's defensively or proving that he can hit lefties and be an everyday player, uh, you know, showing that he, what he's capable of, 
he is very, very motivated this year. He's determined to show he's an everyday player, that he can hit lefties, that he can prove something to the league, but, but mainly to himself. And, and I think that's, that's a really powerful weapon. Anytime any team can get a guy like that who wants to go out there and prove that he can not only be the winning player that he's been for the Dodgers, but really put up the stats and, and numbers and, and take his game to the next level. Because he, he's a former center fielder, he's now in left field. Yep. Defensive metrics haven't been as kind to him in recent years, but he said he thinks there's a lot more in there and he cares about defense and stuff too. So I think that's powerful. I think a guy that hungry can have a trickle down effect on the rest of the lineup, but at the very least put up his own numbers and, and help the offense as we were talking about too. So I think Jock Peterson's a really interesting storyline right now. Yeah, Tony, in your, in your time to catch up with Jock Peterson, did you ask him about his, his affinity for ice cream or perhaps table tennis? Because he, he used to get after it in the Dodgers. They used to have Clayton Kershaw would have a, a, a table tennis, a, a ping pong event out there at Dodger Stadium. And Jock would have an ice cream cone in one hand and, and, a, and a paddle in the other and just, and just take cats to school. No, no, I didn't know that. Okay. I, I'll have to ask him about it for sure. Okay, we'll make sure that Tony Andraki gets to the very bottom of Jock Peterson <laughs> and his ice cream and table tennis addiction. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, he did say what I thought was cool was um, he talked about wearing number 24 in part because of Kobe Bryant, Absolutely. Um, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, he was in L.A. the same time as Kobe and he got to meet him a few times. And he said what stood out to the conversations with Kobe Bryant was the intensity that he brought to practice. And it was something that Jock said has stuck with him as well as he, you know, carried forward, move forward in his career was the intensity he brought to everything that Kobe was just wanted to be great in every aspect. And, you know, the whole, um, the old adage practice, like you play, that's something that, that Jock really wants to take to heart too. So again, he, you know, he's a hunger guy. He's also a guy that wants to let his play do the talking. He, he's talked and he said all this, but he's not, you know, a guy who's going to have this great like bulletin board material or headline type quote. He just kind of has this quiet hunger about him. So I'm curious to see how that develops. We still getting to know him. This is the first time that, you know, I've really gotten to see it and meet him and follow his career closely, but it's going to be interesting. I think he's a guy that Cubs fans are going to like a lot. Yeah, Jock Peterson looking to bring that Mamba mentality to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, of course. And I'm interested to see how Jock is going to be as an everyday player this year, because as you touched on, you know, that 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 platoon role that he was in with the Dodgers, you know, whether it was whether it was A.J. Pollock or, or Matt Kemp or Alex Verdugo, there just seemed to be so many different guys that had him on the bench, you know, one day or another. So for him to go out there and get those extra reps, especially against left-handed hitters, is going to be something that he's looking extremely forward to. And so are we. And we're going to bring the Mamba mentality, just like Kobe, when Matt Barnes tried to check the ball in his face. You remember that one, Tony? You remember that one? Oh, and he didn't even flinch, that one? He didn't even flinch. Yeah. But then there's people out there, there, there's conspiracy theorists that say, well, Matt Barnes was looking that way, Kobe was looking the other way. As far as I'm concerned, Kobe was looking dead at Matt Barnes. He checked him in the face, and Kobe didn't blink. That's how we like to roll here. So, Jock Peterson, of course, keeping the memory of Kobe Bean Bryant alive and well this season. And Jock, one of the newcomers to this 2021 Chicago Cubs team, and also a newcomer, not necessarily to the Cubs team, but to the Marquee Sports Network team. It's legendary broadcaster, Beth Mowens and Beth, well, as, as gracious as she is, she decided to take a little bit of time out of her busy day. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right down to it. And now what a special treat joining us here on the Cubs weekly podcast presented by Win Trust. It's legendary sports broadcaster and now 
a part of our Marquee Sports Network team. It's Beth Mowens, and you'll be able to hear and see Beth on a handful of regular season as well as a preseason spring training game sprinkled in there. Beth, thanks so much for taking time out to join us here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Well, my pleasure, guys, and, and what a pleasure it is to, to be a part of this team and uh, to talk Cubs all summer long. It's going to be fabulous. Now, when you first heard the news and you first found out that, okay, this could be a potential situation, me calling games for the Chicago Cubs, what were your first reactions or did you have any apprehensions at all, Beth? Well, you know, I, I've always been a, a baseball fan and I always have kind of followed along with the game. We, even while, as you guys know, sometimes you're, you're, you know, starting out in baseball season. And then I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, in softball. And there are years where you're, you're covering all kinds of different stuff and you kind of keep in touch as best you can. But, but obviously when you get a call um, that the Chicago Cubs might be interested in, in having you come aboard, uh, that, that's a whole nother level. You know, there are, are certain pro franchises, I think, that um, stick out in everybody's mind as, as just a, a special place and Wrigley Field and all the tradition and, and the legends that truly still live there on a daily basis. Uh, it, it was just a, a dream come true for a little kid who, who, like so many millions of others around Chicago, grew up with a wiffle ball bat in her hand out the street and, uh, you know, dreamed of, of hitting them over the ivy. Have you thought too, Beth, about um, just the fact that the history behind this all, becoming the first woman to be the play-by-play broadcaster for a Cubs game? How does that make you feel? What emotions does that kind of stir up within you? You know, I think there is a, a certain responsibility that comes along with it because, you know, when you watch a Cubs game or even, you know, these spring training games down in Arizona, there are so many women that are fans of the Cubs and, and of Major League Baseball. And, and it's not just that you're speaking to – the people that look and sound like you, but it, it really is something that I've seen over the course of, of my career that there are a lot of young people out there that if they can see it, they can be it. And so, yeah, you know, I, I hope I, I reach all kinds of different people of all ages, but there are a lot of female fans out there that it is, I, I hope, going to be pretty cool to to see a woman and to listen to a woman calling Cubs games and, and feel like they're a, they're a part of it and they're, they're, they're in the booth with you. Beth, you say, if you can see it, they can be it. That's the mantra of, of a lot of female broadcasters in the business, not just in broadcasting, but in just so many different facets of professional life. And, you know, for you to be in the booth and be a milestone maker in collegiate football, the NFL and baseball, how important is that for you for the next generation to see you in the booth and say, hey, if she's out there doing it, hopefully one day I can also be there. Well, I, I think it's a great comparison when, when you talk about covering Major League Baseball and you're calling Cubs games, uh, you know, and, and um, all the old baseball movies of being in the show. Well, for, for a lot of us sportscasters, our, our show is actually up in the press box and, and an opportunity to call the games or to be writing about the games and, and you know, to arrive in the show, if you will. So I, I think that's always an important thing to, I think, show people that you are chasing your dream and you're working hard to try and achieve that, whether it's, you know, Javi Baez at short or Anthony Rizzo at first or whoever it is up in the booth, you know, Boog Shambi, the Cubs fans have one of the best in the business week in and week out and day in and day out. Um, you know, you, you, you work real hard to be at the top of your profession and it's, it, we're all competitors, right? You want to prove that you can do it at the highest level and be your best when it, when it matters the most. And, um, I, I think for, you know, a lot of women in this business, the, the spotlight can be 
um, bright and it can be hot, but you've got to want to embrace those challenges and, and embrace those moments and really, you know, I, I always kind of approach it as I'm the pitcher in the circle and, and I want the ball in my hands. I want the microphone in my hands to make those kinds of decisions, you know, in, in really um, cool moments and to be able to put your voice to, to people's highlights. And kind of along those same lines too, you know, as competitive as you say you are, how does that work um, in terms of just the nuances of calling all these different sports from college to pros to basketball, football, baseball? Mm -hmm. uh, is that where the competitive juices come out for you and you just love, you know, being a part of uh, really every broadcast and every different um, experience out there with, with different sports and different levels? Absolutely, Tony. I think it, it starts with the fact that I, I was an athlete growing up and, and played every sport that I could. And, and, and even when we were out there, um, you know, playing kickball, I, I was running my mouth, not in a trash talking way, but <laughs> trying to figure out how to call kickball games, you know, and, and sort of invent my own language. And, and over the years, my thesaurus has been one of my best friends. And I, I love to, you know, find the, the right words or the, the perfect uh, turn of phrase for each occasion. And, and so that competitive um, spirit, I think, that, that evolved and developed from my days playing sports has carried over. And I really think that's been a big advantage from a play-by-play -play standpoint uh, because, you know, most of the former players and coaches are, are the analysts. And so I, I'd like to think that that has helped me um, in terms of the conversations that I can have with an analyst in terms of you know, the playful banter back and forth, the, the, you know, the trash talking, if you will, that you can have with an analyst, I think really makes it a much more enjoyable listen for, for everybody at home. Now, Beth, you made an analogy. You said that when the, when the, the situation or the lights are, are hot and bright, you want to be the pitcher that's in that circle. And of course, that's a softball analogy. And uh, you've covered the Women's mm -hmm. College World Series in Oklahoma City for, you know, close to two decades how will that translate? How will that help you from going from softball and, and the high level that it is at the College World Series to calling Major League Baseball? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, stick and ball sports, the language is very similar. Uh, so from, from an actual play-by-play -play standpoint, a vocabulary standpoint, I, I think it will be a pretty comfortable transition. Um, and I, I kind of approach this as I'm in the same boat as just about everybody else. You know, the start of spring tra training, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of change. Uh, there's a lot of figuring out which guys went where in the off season and how everybody is going to fit in and how, you know, the rosters are going to shape up. So I, I think for me, that's kind of the, the newness of it. And that, that is the, uh, you know, the, the challenge in your preparation is to what I like to say, forage for all those inform all those stats and all those stories and kind of weave through and and figure out you know what's the most important I, I'm I'm from a generation where you know if you won the triple crown batting average home runs and RBIs that's all you needed that that's all we had on the back of our baseball cards right mm -hmm. and so you have fans like that and then you also have fans you know that love diving into the analytics and this uh, the stats and that's something that I love to do in all the sports that I cover so I think it's trying to find that blend of, you know, how to make everything conversational, but with so much information now we have available to us, how do you find the subtle little things that, that could set, uh, set the Cubs apart this year? Okay, Beth, before Tony jumps in, I was actually just big, ask yeah, I saw, I saw the smile that he was cracking there because <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I'm an old soul because when you look at last year's, you know, extra inning rule, you put the, you put the runner on second, mm -hmm. no outs, 
I mean, if we had to go back and dive into those numbers, I would guess there'd be a few and far between times when a bunt was actually laid down to move that runner over to third. So if, if you're an extra inning and you, and you are at the dials, do, do you lay down a bunt? Do you, do you move that runner over and have a runner on third with one out, you lift one in the outfield, anything can happen. You put the ball in play, good things happen, Beth. You know, that's how it was for years in, in the softball world and, and always has been internationally. You put that runner out at second base. Uh, it's kind of like what we see in basketball internationally and in the WNBA or, or in uh, the college game. You can advance on a timeout to, to midcourt. Is that an unfair advantage? Uh, I absolutely am, am a fan of laying down the bunt if, if it's somebody at the top or bottom of the lineup that's particularly good at it because, you know, if – if you've got somebody in the middle of your lineup, you don't necessarily need the bunt. You know, a base hit wins it for, or base hit gives you the lead at least. Yeah, you know, and uh, I guess you talked about the analyst and working with him too. I know you called a spring game with John Crook, and I'm sure he has his own thoughts on bunting and everything as well. But Beth, what was that experience like working with John and, and calling a, a spring broadcast with him? It, it was amazing. You know, uh, John is also a huge softball fan, and he had actually come and done um, a few of the World Series with myself and Jessica Mendoza. And, and honestly, I, I don't think I've ever laughed so much in my life. We just had a blast. And, and then having the opportunity to call, um, you know, that spring training game with John, I've, I've really been lucky over the years, and I'm really excited to be working with guys like JD or, and Ryan Dempster and, and the whole crew. Um, I, I've, I've worked with men that have appreciated the moment and understood what was going on in the bigger picture of having a woman do this. And, you know, both he and, and Rex Ryan on Monday night football, just down to earth. Hey, how can I help? I want to, I want to succeed at this because I know it's a big moment for you and for a lot of women that are watching. So Kruk was awesome at just putting, putting you at ease and, you know, he'd tell a story or two and, and you'd have a hard time recovering to call the next pitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Beth, it seems as if so many people in the business uh, along the way, there was always that fork in the road moment where something came up, whether it was early in their career, in the middle of their career, where they went that way and they've ascended to where they're currently at, as you are, or they could have gone the other way. Was there a moment like that for you? And if, if so, would you like to share that? I think there were a couple. Uh, first and foremost was watching Phyllis George on the old NFL Today show. Uh, really, I think in in my lifetime and perhaps in all of sports television, that one show that sort of showed us how to do pregame shows. And, and it was the first time that a woman was on television and I was sitting in front of the TV and I asked my mom, hey, can I do that? You know, there's this woman talking about football and and getting to interview all these great athletes and coaches. And my mom, you know, bless her heart, said, yes, you can. And that was all I needed to hear. And that was a big moment for me to realize I could do it. And then it was finding sort of the play-by-play -play role. And Gail Sarens in 1987 was the first woman to call the NFL. And I realized there had been no one that had come behind her. So I'm not going to be the former uh, manager, the former coach, the former all-star that is usually the analyst. But that other guy, uh, maybe I could be him. And if I work hard and I'm good enough at it, I might be the only woman doing it. And so kind of carved out a little niche for myself as I was coming out of, out of grad school at Syracuse that play-by-play um, -play is the way to go. And despite a lot of shoves and pushes from people upstairs, why, why don't you go on the sideline? Um, you know, that, that really wasn't the, the role I wanted, first and foremost, because it, it's often the hardest job in television because you have to deal with anything and everything at all times. 
And I, I, I knew I wanted to be that, that play-by-play role. What are you looking forward to most in the play-by-play role with the Cubs this season? Is it working at Wrigley Field? Is it calling a home run for Chris Bryant or Javi Baez? What, what have you kind of thought or dreamt about and envisioned as you step into this role later this year? I'm excited just to sort of um, breathe in those initial moments from the press box. You know, I've, I've been to games before at Wrigley Field as a fan, and it's just it's one of those meccas that you always want to try and go to. And so to be able to call uh, a game from there and, and knowing everybody that has been in that booth before you is, is going to be a, a cool thing. Um, you know, I, I want to try and bring that blend of professionalism and, and call the game and document the game. And, but also kind of bring that joy of, of, you know, the kid in the candy store and, um, you know, a great appreciation of what this opportunity is all about and, and what it's going to be like to call uh, a Cubs game is, is real special in, in, you know, the history of, of broadcasting. And so uh, I, I just I, I I don't know if it's a home run. I don't know if it's a, a just a you know, run of the mill double play that takes you to the end of an inning and you can just kind of roll out and, and, uh, and let the, hopefully the crowd noise take over. Beth, you said that you watched Gail Gardner back in the day and I have a nine-year-old upstairs that's, that's watching a baseball game right now. She's knee deep into softball. So if you could give some advice to that next generation, what would it be? I, I think it's, it's preparation and repetition equals success. And I, I think especially for, for young people and, and probably for young girls in particular, uh, you know, with everything being on social media and alcohol, it's very hard to try and fail and try again because you're so worried that it's going to make you look bad. And, and for all of us, trial and error is what got us here. And so, you know, I, I hope that, you know, through a lot of preparation, and through a lot of repetition, that's that, you know, I was sitting up in the in the cheap seats with, you know, back in those days, you actually had to have a recorder, not your iPhone and just practicing your craft, uh, you know, that that, that 10,000 hour rule, if you will, just over and over trying to find the right way to say things and and, you know, ultimately failing and figuring out a better way to do it and, and then succeeding. And that's where I think, uh, especially for a lot of young girls, that's where confidence is is first realized. Absolutely. Well, Malcolm Gladwell is somewhere smiling. Those 10,000 hours, they, they have been reached. Beth Mowens, you will be the first female broadcaster on a Chicago Cubs game this season. You'll continue to make history this season and beyond. And Beth, thanks so much for taking time out to join Tony and I here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Appreciate it. Can't wait. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. And now it's time for us to put a bow on the show. And Wintrust, of course, is the proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, of course, as always, what you can do is you can jump on and you can listen to this podcast on Spotify or Apple, and you can download it today. And once again, be sure to watch us on the Mark Sports Network app. So for Tony Andrecki, Beth Mowens, and myself, we'll see you next time.